And welcome back to the Big Cheese AI Podcast. We haven't posted in a week because the 15th pod got away. Um, we've been recording on OBS. If you've ever recorded on OBS, you record everything onto the same exact stream. And we had a pod that we completely lost because the audio was messed up. That's all right. We are back with pod, with a podcast. What is it? 16 now? We're going to call it 16. We're going to call it we'll call podcast it. We to, 16. We have to pour one out for a boy. Eventually, a, yeah, yeah. Hickle, Tim, we'll get you back on. Eventually, there's going to be an AI that will be able to correct the mistake that we made. Yes. And maybe we'll release that. It was pretty bad, now. though. It was really <laughs> it was bad. I, I put it through, like, this wave fix thing, and, like, it was, like, took, like, two hours on my Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then it got done, and it wasn't any better at It all. wasn't? No. Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Welcome back to the Big Cheese AI Podcast. I am DeAndre Herricus, joined by Sean Heise, Brandon Corbin, and Aubrey Anon. Anon, that's right. Welcome. Thank so you. How are you much. doing, man? I am doing well. Thank you. Good. We just met Aubrey for drinks like a week ago, and we were like, you want to be on our podcast? He did some really <laughs> cool stuff. He was like, I'd love to. <laughs> so now he's on the Big Cheese Pod. We're talking about some pretty big stuff today, enterprise data and AI. Brandon has some big background in that. Yeah, I mean, we, we have uh, two uh, really good enterprise, I mean, enterprise. Enterprise. Enterprise, and especially AI with you, and then enter data. We got the data man. We got the data man. Um, yeah, we got. We're going to talk through a few things. Obviously, get to know Aubrey a lot. Sean and Aubrey have a, a ton of background together, but there are some news items we'd like to talk about at some point. Taylor Swift deep fakes. Uh, if you've ever been on Twitter before, you know things can get a little feisty, and it got feisty with Taylor. So you can go figure that out on your own. But we will talk about it. Um, Microsoft came out with something to kind of adjust for that, so we'll talk to that as well. And then we've got a deep fake of George Carlin. Carlin who is one of my favorite comedians of all time. If you guys haven't listened to his stuff and you like conspiracy oh, yeah, theories, yeah, he is the guy funny. to go listen yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then High Alpha created yet another company, and that company is a competitor to something that maybe, kind of? Uh, so so, Lim so the company's called Liminal, mm -hmm. and uh, Liminal just launched, and their approach is basically helping enterprises be able to bring large language models and AI into it safely. Uh, they've got a very interesting approach, so I actually got a demo of it this week. Nice. And, and High Alpha is the biggest, like, most influential VC in tech in Indianapolis. Yeah, that's right. What, what are they and called? It's not, the not just a VC, but it's... Uh, what a studio, oh, yeah, v a Venture Studio. Venture Studio. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I'm sure I just pissed three yeah. people off at yeah, High Alpha. Yeah, yeah. So, so High Alpha, though, they, they continually are just rolling out these, like, badass companies. Right. And so Lum Liminal, Liminal, I think, L-I-M-I... AL, I think is what's yes. pronounced. So liminal, we'll, we'll call it liminal. Um, but they've got a very interesting approach that they're basically kind of doing a layer on top. So like if you go to ChatGPT and you start like interacting with it, they're actually kind of capturing the text fields. And that's where they're doing their privacy and they're layering on top of the, like the tech. They have their own like chat interface. But then if you're using uh, um, uh, what Copilot, like on your desktop and whatnot, they can kind of overlay the text areas. And that's where they're really capturing the, the privacy. Like, you know, you're not allowed to say this because that's part of our, you know, our no, no words that you're allowed to send to an AI. So they're doing privacy at that level, which is kind of are an they, interesting way of the, like the OS level or the browser? Both, level? both OS and, so they're recommending that, you know, if a company's going to go with them, redirect any request to, uh, to chat.openai.com to liminal. And so then they will basically do the, the scrubbing before it's ever sent to ChatGPT. They're doing something similar to when we were uh, built the original uh, Big Cheese kind of chat interface for privacy, which is 
you basically take the prompt, you extract anything that's PII, and you replace it with something that's kind of close, right? So in their case, it's like if you say, I'm in a, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan, it's going to be like, I'm in city underscore Michigan. So when it goes to ChatGPT, it's no longer like Grand Rapids, right? So they've got a very interesting kind of approach of just doing the swapping there. They don't have their own large language models. They don't have their own, you know, they're, they're basically just kind of sitting on top, waiting for to send it to ChatGPT, comes back and they rehydrate, under, you know, city underscore Michigan with Grand Rapids. So from a user perspective, it's, it's completely, yeah, it's yeah. transparent, <clears throat> hmm. but that information never actually goes to so ChatGPT. So their tech exists at a networking level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not. It's not a. It's not. It's not a keystroke logger. It's just intercepting uh, network requests. Well, kind of, because because when like so their their example was if you're using Copilot, then you do have like a chat box of your app, you know, that's sitting there in your desktop, and they've got some daemon that can run on Windows and Mac that basically just be like, oh, hey, we found this text box for. Uh, uh, you know, for whatever the hell it's called, and we're now going to control that and basically steal the, you know, steal the thunder from it. So it's an interesting approach to yeah, basically make it so you can then just comfortably use AI without having to, you know, worry about all of the intricacies of it. Um, we'll see how it, you know it works. Again, beautiful. Uh, everything that comes out of High Alpha's design and their branding is always on point, right? Like their brand is just mm. perfect. Their designs are perfect. Their their video is beautiful, right? They're gonna obviously bring on like some of the serious heavy hitters for, to build out the business. So I think it's absolutely a real, you know, a, a real business that could, you know, it's gonna steal some some business from other folks. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah, High Alpha does some amazing, um, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that, that, that promotion Again, video. They came it all out comes from incredible. Christian Anderson. I've got, and, and sometime I'll release it. I've got, I've got an interview with Christian Anderson that I did for my original podcast about twelve years ago, um, when it was Christian Anderson and Associates. And maybe I'll release. That was one of the first point. agencies I I was like, oh man, that's I my know. goals, dude. Yeah, Christian. Yeah, Christian. He's he's brilliant. You hey, know, his design we got to pour amazing. one out for Jacob. He's in New Zealand still, yes. but he would right. love to talk about uh, Gemini Ultra. Oh yeah, yep. I don't. I haven't. Obviously, we what, Jacob's the other guy in our podcast, and he's all about the the uh, Bard, which is getting renamed to Gemini. Which, yes. but has any, <laughs> has anyone tried? Has anyone tried the updated stuff? No. So yeah, I've I have yet. I mean, like I've used Bard, but I don't use it in any consistent manner, right? But it makes sense that they're so basically. Uh, Google's going to be releasing Gemini Ultra, their big model that's going to be available to Bard now, and so you'll be able to have you know, I guess deeper contacts. I don't know. I, I I've started to think that we're totally underestimating Google because go, go ahead. No, I, I, yeah. I think one wasn't, wasn't there some like they did, they did like a launch maybe like what, two, three months ago where they demoed this whole thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it, it was, was like it scripted. was, it was all bullshit. It was <laughs> the typical, it was the typical, I, I catch, I catch, right. uh, I catch founders doing this all the time. They're like, here's our demo. And they show you like the login yeah. and the crud. And, the and then they go over to Figma and they show you like the actual <laughs> chart and like the cool shit. Yeah. And I'm like, I actually, I was actually at a demo at, at High Alpha. It was, it was, uh, it was, um, uh, a company that was really, is really awesome. And I was like, right after the founder, I was like, you guys are really far, but that last slide, that was big. <laughs> 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 but yeah, yeah. Google got, yeah, and then, you know, that, that PR stuff really hurts you. Yeah. But I was thinking about this because I feel like, first of all, ChatGPT uh, uh, has been a little lazy 
and they even had to come out and say some stuff about it. But like the experience hasn't been as top notch as it as, oh, it, no. as it no, it hasn't been very good. And you think about these guys that are trying to create a, a software platform that can scale to the likes of Microsoft mm -hmm. and Google. Obviously, they got an investment from Microsoft, but Google's been building systems that scale at a UI level yeah. and scale at a massive, massive user level for years. Right. To think that they can't, that they can't or won't compete with the data that they have and their ability to do, you know what I mean? Might yeah, be underestimating I think, them. Like I think like, OpenAI, they just had a killer app, right? They had a killer. I mean, Google had been working on this for years, right? But you know, OpenAI came out and it was like, hey. Here's how we can make it real for everybody else. Like you can see right. it, feel it, touch it, and you know, they still kind of have that whole. Like you were saying, Bard. Like yeah. you still use it, but people don't use it as much as like. Yeah, and 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 with the ability to, it's really competing directly with ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah. Because so you're talking about where you go. In, it's in where AI. you go. The the tab you have open when you're talking to AI about general. Right. Yeah, I right? I ne so so again I got my sixty dollar sixty dollar bill that for February uh, no January from from OpenAI from OpenAI because I've been just abusing ChatGPT four apparently and I'm not doing anything crazy so I like this isn't because of Big Cheese's chat interface we pretty much shut that thing down that this is just me going in and being like hey here's some content I need you to do this hey here's some mm -hmm. images that I want to generate do this do this do this and yeah it's sixty. Friggin' dollars, yeah. sixty bucks. Like last yeah, month, it was forty bucks. That's what I was getting at. So if you go to bard.google.com, which will be Gemini, which will be whatever, mm -hmm. right? You know, our your existing Google Workspace account, if you're it's a Google already company, typing, already yeah. has it. And so yeah, our, our my uh, UI UX designer was uh, messaged me two days ago and goes, "Hey, do you have a login to Dolly?" And you know, yeah, right. and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you chat GPT plus yeah. yet right now because a, I'm probably just too busy to go put the credit card and do the team thing. I would probably just do it. But I was, like, it just opened up this whole complexity in my mind right. where I was like, if, if we were using Gemini and it was just as good at generating images as Dolly or Dolly, 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 Dolly. um, you, there's no doubt that I would just use that system, right? Because I already mm -hmm. use, I'm a, you know, you hate Google Docs, but it's fucking great. <laughs> no, it's awful. It what? is no, bullshit. No, Dog, he hates it. Tell me a better collaboration. Uh, no, as what, collaboration, what? fine. As far as formatting, bullshit. Well, it I is mean, awful. Dude, He's I, mad I, that you can't copy and paste from ChatGPT no, without no, having no, no, to no, do remote. I'm, I'm mad that I've I've set like 12 years ago some bullshit indenting, and now every time I try to write, I've got all this crazy indenting, <laughs> and I can't for the life of me figure it out. It is awful. Most is boomer awful. moment in, in Big Cheese <laughs> podcast history. You. Yeah, hey, Google my, Docs. I did have to install Microsoft Office on my computer uh, last Microsoft year. Office and that was, sucks too, by the way. That was horrible. Yeah, What's yeah. good, Brandon? What, Notion. What's good for Notion. You? I love Notion. Notion. Love Obsidian. Love Notion. Now try to you use Notion's it. AI, and, and you'll get a bill at the end of the month. I know. I did. I did. I've, yeah, I've torn through it. So I've been using Notion's AI quite a bit. I, I'm still on the fence if I'll actually. So I've migrated from Obsidian. So I used Obsidian for everything. But now that I'm kind of back having to like share stuff with people and, and do a lot of like kind of cross collaboration, Notion's a little bit better in that field. Um, so I've, I've been leaning on their AI quite a bit and it's actually not bad, but I've, I've torn through my thing. So I'll have to upgrade if I want to keep yeah, using so it. So Sean, tell me, how do you guys, you guys know each other? 
How? Uh, College, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, Aubrey, our guest today, um, Aubrey and I met in grad school. Um, Aubrey tells the story better, but basically uh, I had gone through uh, my first semester at, in grad school and Aubrey wasn't there. He was, and everyone would always talk about, oh yeah, Aubrey's the best, <laughs> and, and and this and that, and there, you know, there was it was sixty seven people in my in my class. I think I think forty of them were from Southern India. Yeah, um, and yeah, you know, a lot of a lot from Chennai, some Mumbai, but like it was it was a lot of there wasn't a lot of people from um, uh, that I knew. You know, there wasn't, and there was a lot of, it was, it was a, it was a really good experience. Um, that the, the program down there, uh, is a master's of science and information systems program it was, it was started by Ramesh Venkataraman, one of the nicest, best dudes you'll ever meet. He yeah. let me into grad school, uh, just because we had beers and he liked me. He didn't even look <laughs> at my grades or anything. Um, I was kind of a package deal with, with Joel Minton, who's a stud. Um, but anyways, we went through first semester. I, I was kind of hit my stride. I had good. And then this guy comes in. And, I'm, and 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 he comes in the game and like everyone's like Aubrey's here and I'm like I I see Aubrey and I'm like uh, like for like two weeks I'm looking at this guy I'm like. <laughs> Anyways, with that semester we had this target case competition, and uh, uh, it was a big deal. It was like it was it was you got like five grand if you won it. It was your whole grade. It was this. It was everything in that. It was all about mixing tech and soft skills and business. Um, so it was all about it was all about presenting, pitching, um, but being at a technical and business level. Anyways, we come down to it in the case competition, and it's Aubrey's team versus my team nice. in the finals. Nice. And uh, Aubrey's got this coder dude <laughs> working for him that just builds this whole app, and we got the best presentation ever, but no, Aubrey won. And got <laughs> the place. Um, but then it was kind of, I think, right around that time that we realized we were neighbors. Yeah. We ended up hanging out a bunch. Uh, became really good friends. We both ended up working at PricewaterhouseCoopers, yeah. um, and I was I went down the road of um, IT audit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it, that too. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, that's he he did the same internship yeah. at PwC. Yeah, that did. Um, yeah. And he was a st- star there too. I had to hear about that the whole time. Um, but they offer this uh, seven month internship thing where you start in June and you go through the the Christmas. Anyways, mm-hmm. that's how Aubrey and I met. And Aubrey's got a lot of experience. Um, from a from an enterprise data perspective, yeah, and so and obviously a ton of experience at, at systems and a scale that I you know I don't even touch anymore. But uh, we uh, have been interacting over the years. And Aubrey, you started your own consulting company, yeah. So that was a few years ago. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, I mean we we left we left uh, we yeah we got two two thousand and. 2007. Say it. I know. It was, it was like wild. right before the bottom dropped out. Right, we all right, got right, jobs right, and we yeah. survived because we were the little young guys that weren't getting paid anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I we left grad school, went to a small company called Diamond. Um, uh, was there for about two years. Um, and then actually, um, so I actually, funny thing, I, I did, we both did our internships at PwC, right? And basically declined my offer and then went to Diamond, right? And then two years later, Diamond got acquired by PwC. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was there for about, you know, um, I'd say 10, 12 years. And then um, I think 2019, I left to start K9 and Associates, right? And I think for me, 
Um, I think before the podcast, Brian, I was telling you, I'd, I'd worked in a variety of industries, right? right? And then I think I always tell a story. Um, you know, I had finished a project and I was looking for a new project. And, you know, one of the partners I work is like, hey, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, a client in Indianapolis. Would you like to come? I was like, I live in Indy. <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> right? So, um, so it was convenient, you know, all that. But um, I say that because, um, you know, healthcare, the space of healthcare and pharma is one of the areas that is very near and dear to me. Um, and we believe that, like, really tech data, right, and now artificial intelligence is really going to change the game around how drugs are discovered, manufactured, and even patient care is delivered, right? right? So I think we're leaning into that to help a lot of our clients like figure out how to use data tech, yep. digital innovation, truly change like healthcare. Right, right. Hey, so before we get into it, I think there's a, there's, there's a very valuable thing that you guys just described as far as your relationship has unfolded. Um, that people kind of sleep on. So I had a very similar experience with a guy named Paul Mealy. So I'm at Fusion Alliance. I'm kind of the creative, you know, technologist. So I've got that kind of weird hybrid that everybody's like jealous of because I can kind of do both sides. And then, then all of a sudden comes in Paul Mealy. They hired him from this like cool hip studio from Silicon or from uh, Seattle called Pop. And he comes in, and he's kind of this, like, hipster guy. He can do design. He can do development. I'm like, I don't like this fucking guy. <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, I don't like you because you're treading on my territory. Come to find out, he and I were like kindred spirits, right? And it's like, so when you're at a job and, you're, and, and someone like that comes in and you realize that there's this, like, guttural kind of competition thing, I think that it's ultimately let the competition play out, but realize that you two are probably going to end up being lifelong yeah. friends and and colleagues. Because and, and he was the reason I ended up going to X-Ray because he he was part of X-Ray. He's like, hey, come on over. But those types of in, engagements where it's like there's a like slight competition, I think, are insanely valuable. Don't sleep on that. If you have that happen to you yeah. at your work, realize that it, that person that you're like gutturally reacting to is probably going to end up being someone that you want to work with for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I, it made made me better. Um, the challenge, um, and then just having someone. I mean, you never want to be, uh, not that you were, but you 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 don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there's there's also a thing where if you're when you're working, I think it's in the larger organizations, which for me, it, you know, has been interesting because I've always worked with subsets like I haven't worked as I've been a total cog for a long time. Now, I've worked in in organizations where there's there is a lot of people. and There's a lot of interdependencies. But when you get a big team like a consulting company yeah. like a PwC mm -hmm. or, or whatever, that that, that kind of puts it. It gives you a different edge. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's funny you mention that, but I think we actually did another case competition. It was it was you, me, and Joel. Oh right? yeah, the crow. Yeah, the crow. It was. I think it was for me. It was like the perfect mix of skills and talent, right? We just happened to mouth off a lot <laughs> in that case competition. That's why we lost. But well, the well, the 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 the, 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 the people running the case competition uh, at the company came in. And they were all drunk and hung over. Yeah, because they had gone out the night. Because they had gone out the night <laughs> before in Bloomington, and I remember the, the like the leader of them was like like laying down on a bench. Yeah, 
outside and everyone was like what the hell's going on and we had like put all this work and stayed work up all do, night yeah. and did all that stuff but it, and also their 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 yeah. competition was like this super was, uber specific thing that yeah. you wouldn't mm. anyways but yeah i mean we we did get a chance yeah. to work together and, and um no it's it's iron sharpens iron or whatever no iron sharpens yeah. iron 100 yeah. percent. yeah aubrey so enterprise level consulting yeah right <laughs> ai mm-hmm. how are they adopting it is it is it happening quickly is there other roadblocks? What are the things that you're experiencing at that level? Yeah, I think the best way I can describe it is with like any any kind of um, tech that has had this kind of like impact since I probably say mobile phone, right? Um, you know, a lot of companies. The way that I best describe it is like think of it as like a a big ship, right? And then the big ship kind of like spawns of like little boats to go and figure out what's happening. And then they come back to the big ship, right? Right now, there's a lot of pilots. People are still trying to figure stuff out, what's going to work. Um, so I think, I, think they are, I think there's the excitement. People know and realize the, um, the potential, right, and how it can change the game. I think how they're trying to utilize that is not quite clear, right? And also, if you think about most of these legacy corporations, right, they come with a lot of, I say, existing infrastructure that is not really conducive to the way that technology is scaling, right? Yeah. So if you if you think about data um, specifically, if you look at the evolution of like how data has evolved or their data infrastructure, right? Back then, you know, <clears throat> you had lots of data within like, you know, applications and solutions, right? And then, you know, you had to wait for, you know, books to be closed and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's where like a data warehousing involved. So it's like, hey, let's let's kind of pull all this data into a structured area, right? We can have you know, data mart and people can, you know, run reports. You can see where your product is selling all of that by SKU, by whatever, right? So that kind of led to um, the data warehouse paradigm, yeah. right? Um, so that has existed, right, for a while until about 10 years ago, right? Which now, um, not only did people want all of that data for analytics, right, to answer like, okay, what happened? Now people are trying to answer questions about what's gonna happen, right, Mm -hmm. or why happened, Mm -hmm. right? So now, right, everybody wants raw data to kind of start looking at, and your traditional data warehousing structure doesn't allow They're not cutting it. They're not not blind for that, so now So the the outputs from data warehouses aren't good for training large language models? No, because they're structured. It's it's all structured. So data, data. yeah, so data warehouses are primarily structured data. Right. So here's a term that I'm kind of digging on, and it's- Can we we do a quick definition, unstructured versus structured data? So yeah. structured data would be your databases, right? Tables, rows and columns. Rows, columns. Yeah, rows and columns. Think about it. So yeah. but what's kind of interesting, so Excel, what, 85% of Excel documents are structured. 
the other ones are the invoices that somebody created yep. in Excel, right? That we don't necessarily, there's no structure to it, but they're just using it almost as like a, as a, as a design tool. Well, that, right? that's the way I've always thought about the unstructured data. Unstructured data is when you throw an Excel file at the model, right? Right. Uh, structured data is when you say, Hey, this is, this, this Excel file has columns and rows. Yeah, so <laughs> col columns and rows, I think, is the structured or, side, yeah. and anything else is not. Um, and so it's kind of a, it's, it's an interesting position that you're in. So data warehouses are traditionally structured data. Now you're getting into this term called a data lake house, which so, I'm, ki I'm so kind of digging. That's, that's, that's the so now, right, you have two basically use cases, right? They're the traditional business intelligence. I need my structured data right. so I can run analytics or, or it's not even analytics. It's just reporting right on it. Now you have all these people who also want like, they just want the raw data to start doing analytics on it. Right. Um, now that's where the evolution of like, the uh, <coughs> data lake comes in, yeah. right? So data lake is basically, it's more like a swamp, right? <laughs> it's you a get swamp. Data, you get data, you <laughs> it's just, a data it's swamp, a big, dude. I'm stealing that. Yeah, I'm going to use that. You just throw blobs of data and files <laughs> in, right? So it has no structure. People can get into it, right? And then basically, because storage is now cheap, right? Yeah. You can store massive amounts of data. That, that, that kind of weird to me because it seems like, first of all, structured data is really well suited for large language models. Right. I mean, I mean, well, if you think about it, level. a large language model is really good at unstructured. Yeah. Right. It like do, that's, it, it's, it's multimodal. Yeah. It's right? I guess I guess my point is if you just throw out all the other stuff yeah. and only focus on the random dot on the docs and the images and all that, mm -hmm. are you missing out on something? I mean, were you literally just trying to open up a new use case against data that you weren't looking at before? So a lot of the structured, I think a lot of the structured data that's out there could hypothetically be be represented with a text to SQL, right? Like, mm -hmm. so you could hypothetically take structured data, throw that into a temporary uh, SQL database, be able to do a query, yep. and be able to have that query pulled out well, relevant like that simple analytics tool. I liked that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess that's just maybe too basic, yeah. but it was like, instead of going there and going, um, uh, all right, here's my graph of yeah. my users over time, you go, hey, how many users from Sacramento, right. California that were women uh, did visited my website. You know what's so funny? You just didn't just talk yeah. to it. I, so I, I use simple analytics all the time. I never actually use their AI. I don't so maybe care. so maybe that is the point that that's actually maybe a good point is right. that you don't use LLMs for the structured data. You're more looking at it to kind of absorb just a bunch of stuff and yeah. ask general questions. So that that's that's the I I think that's the next paradigm shift, right? Because I think when you look at like the delta lakes or the data lakes now. Um, Del wait, you called it a delta so lake. So there are two. Okay. Right? So Can you explain lake, both? Right. So data lakes is just like I said, just large swabs of data. You, you throw some structure, raw some data, not. just raw data, right. right? That you usually take from raw to a, a confined layer, and then you know uh, a. Um, a conform layer, mm -hmm. right? That you can do a bunch of other stuff on it, right. right? Now, right, the delta lake is basically a way that you can take all of that data, right? It helps you take all of that data and then repurpose it for uh, machine learning. Okay. Right? So machine learning, 
building those models doesn't necessarily mean they're large language models. Sure. Right. 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 So Delta Lakes allow you to do that. Okay. Right. So now I think what's happening is enter these large language models. Right. They necessarily don't sit in your environment. Right. They sit outside your environment. Right. So now it's how do you bring like these three different ways of data, right? Your traditional data warehousing, now your Delta Lakes, and then build a pipeline that feeds all of that into your larger language model, depending on what you want to use it for. Is it possible, to, to is that. it even possible or feasible for companies that are, have highly, 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 highly specialized information, privileged information to use a, externally run language model or are they going is it only going to be successful on if they bring an open source model in house so now we're getting to some of the challenges and what this is this is what so if you think about like what what these pilots are doing right they're testing for like feasibility they're testing for like you know privacy concerns they're testing for like a bunch of different things right so privacy is one right and you know a lot of clients that I'm working with, they're trying to figure out, like, you know, client that's, I have a client that's trying to build, like, a chatbot to help, like, patients understand, you know, diagnosis and all things like that. And I'm like, well, you can't, you can't really feed a large language model with patient information, right? Because, right, one, it's PI or PII information, mm -hmm. and then two, right, it's got to be really accurate because you're, either prescribing or diagnosing, right? That has like I'm gonna severe. Gonna let ChatGPT diagnose yeah. me. <laughs> oh, they're, they're not, they're not saying, severe. hey, take this really complicated. Well, I guess yeah. even, so that's a good question. Yeah. If you took a conversation that a doctor, that you had with the doctor, which I have done, because mm -hmm. uh, I, I had a family member go through some stuff. I took a transcript that was, th that was about 20 minutes long and I sent it to ChatGPT, whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, sorry, mom. <laughs> sorry, mom. Um, I said, please summarize this. Yeah. Right now, it took their words yeah. and summarized them. But to, to Aubrey's point, is that still a pretty big risk of the LLM interpolating those words? Different, right? Because you don't know, right? That's the other thing. It's like you don't know what the model is doing, right? How it's making those decisions, how it's, you don't, it's, you don't quite know yet. We don't quite know yet, right? So if it's just chatting and it's not monitored by yeah. the doctor, there's some risk there because it could accidentally risk, it could accidentally right? do something. But if you're, I, I would say there's a difference between it just summarizing what a doctor no, already like, said versus, yeah. versus, yeah. versus being like, like, hey, what do hey, I do? I have a headache. Oh, well, you need medicines, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that's that's a bit. So I think like to answer like that's we're getting some of a risk in terms of what they're assessing, uh, what you can what you can use legally versus not, right? And then I think the big thing that a lot of companies are realizing, like, like data is not AI ready, right? When I say right. AI ready, right? It's like, okay, I need access to this data so I can train models with, or um, do I have training data, like enough and sufficient training data to train my language models with? Or do I even have a way to like label, right? If I'm doing supervised training, do I even have enough data to like label all, all of the things that I have, right? So your traditional kind of data management practices are not quite gonna apply, 
Right. Well, that aligns with my personal experience yeah. of trying to do anything on my own with AI. Now, Brandon <laughs> will wipe the floor with me, but it's like, you know, you go you, going to chat GPT's API and, and asking questions mm-hmm. is, is, is a totally different level yeah. of accessibility than saying, hey, I'm going to go to Langchain yeah. and I'm going to start, I'm going to do a training data. So I'm going to do the labeling thing. I'm going to, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to convert this big. I got all the blogs that this company's ever written. There's 5,000 of them. I got a big JSON document. Mm-hmm. It's all labeled, right? And I got it all. Okay, it's training it. And then I will go, the first thing is like, what, who, what is X? And they're like, bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this sucks. What, what, and then you go back to ChatGPT yeah. and it's like, well, I was already trained on that data. Oh, here's a great answer. You don't, you don't need it. And so right, I think yeah. there's a, there's definitely a challenge. If it, uh, Don't you think when you're yeah. trying to do this on your own? Oh, totally. Well, I mean, again, In your cre- experience, cre- like? creating models is expensive. Let's just, oh, yeah. let's just throw that yeah. out there. Creating reliable models is expensive. Doing RAG, RAG arch- like pulling in RAG, retrieval augmented generation, where I can basically take, hey, tell me about this. And I take that little query, I do some magic to it, I go search a database, I get some results back, and we throw that in there. So here's what the user asks, here's what the system output, now answer it, right? Large language models like that because it's like, oh, you're just telling me how to think, yeah. right? So, so those, I think, make all the sense in the world. That's where I see enterprises ultimately going, is that enterprises need to be able to have their entire data set accessible through a RAG architecture, but with permissions, yeah. right? So as I ask, hey, would you tell me, would you tell me every, you know, show me every document that has X, Y, and Z from a marketing stance. It should know that, oh, I'm Brandon Corbin, I only have access to this information, here's the results, here it is, feed that back to the large language model, let it answer the question. As we all know, not every company is created equally when it comes to that. So when, when Aubrey talks about AI readiness, is are the companies that had traditional good IT IT service management and data and processes and, and controls more apt to be able to adopt the this? I think it's a start, right? So I can tell you, like there, there are organizations that like they've taken the time to like centralize, have like a centralized data store or data management capability or data backbone. Right, they've created like catalogs of their data. Um, they've they've created like a, a data marketplace where people can in the organization, right? So regardless if you're in marketing or finance, you can say, you know, if I want to look at, you know, all the customers we have, right? There's one place to go look and search for that data, right? So mm-hmm. there are organizations that have started to do that. Even with those organizations, right? there's still like bridges, right? Because not all of that data is accessible, right? right? Not all of that is there. And the answer from that, the question from the CEO is, like, I want everything. Exactly. Yeah, I want, it's that, never, that, I want, that, no, I want all of it. Right? Absolutely. And maybe, everything. And maybe right, my yeah. advice to a lot of business folks yeah. out there is, don't ask questions that you know there's no yeah. clear answer to. <laughs> right. Like, there's yeah. never, it's hard to get absolutes, yeah. especially yeah. in the enterprise. Yeah. 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 And then there's, there's the... There's probably like the other end of a spectrum where, you know, you have an organization that basically relies on spreadsheets, right? So if yeah. if, if are they going to win? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> they probably will. If, it's only if, SharePoint right here. Yeah. See? Folders. When the CMO asks for like, hey, what's our sales for the quarter? 
right? You see people scrambling like, hey, give me that spreadsheet that you created last time. Give me this spreadsheet, give me that spreadsheet. And that's how, right? So that's the other extreme. Right. When I left right. corporate America, that was my life. <laughs> was spreadsheets. spreadsheets. It, was, it was transfer this data that some person maintains in a spreadsheet into yeah. a PowerPoint. And then make that PowerPoint look better than the spreadsheet. So, but make sure that you keep the spreadsheet and the PowerPoint insane. So, so what's funny about that, that thing, right, that you just did, and you spent however many hours that you did doing that, is that that's exactly what a large language model is going to be good at. Where you can just be like, here's my PowerPoint, or here's my Excel doc, turn this into a PowerPoint, I want you to have X, Y, and Z as far, to, uh, as, far as the requirements for it. Blah, 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 blah. There you go. There it is. It's done. So, you, your job would have been obsolete. So I guess the question is, you know, from your perspective, Aubrey, I'm there's a lot of limitations <laughs> at the enterprise level because they're so big and the data is all over the place and how the data is being stored, if they're on spreadsheets, if they're in data swamps, mm -hmm. all that stuff. But mm -hmm. what is the steps? Data swamp? Yeah. Is that, was that, is yeah, that the, what you called it? Yeah, the data swamp. <laughs> I like it. Swamp. Yeah. Data swamp. That's going to be a new uh, term. Exactly. And so what is... How could an organization, if you were to prescribe, like how could they be taking steps from an enterprise? Yeah. Like, what what does the future look like? Okay, if you did this, then the outcome would be we could actually interact with these models safely, you know, and so on. Yeah, no, good question. I think um, it's again depending on the maturity, but I think there are a few tenets that like companies should look out for. Right, one I think is just starting with a good data foundation, which is like one, like knowing where all your assets are, right? When I say assets, like where all of the key logical domains of data that you used to run your business, right? You know where they are, right? Most companies have there. a hard time mapping their application to the database, yeah. to the server architecture, to the application right. owner, to the IT owner, yeah. to, they have a hard time creating that IT yeah. inventory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you need, you need that one. Um, I think the second biggest thing is, um, I don't like using this word, um, governance, right? <laughs> Whatever word you want to use to substitute that. Um, PwC will collect uh, $100,000 for this. But, but governance, right? It's, it's data governance. And, you know, traditionally, you know, you basically govern, you know, basically have a system owner, right, who says, Hey, here's how I'm going to keep my data, and here's how I'm going to check for quality. Now you're integrating all of this data into a single place, right? That model doesn't quite hold up anymore, right? So if I request access for data from a centralized location, who's approving that data, right? So mm -hmm. I think figuring out, like, the governance and the access, right? Well, but so so a lot of that data is already kind of governed by the system's access level controls right so so right now like as so let's take big cheese as an example right, right? we've got a we've got a google drive we've got all the different tools and stuff that there are certain things that i as brandon corbin have access to that you have access to that you have access to that maybe i have some files that are only exclusive to me that i don't have access to so, so all of these systems already exist that have access level controls. Why are we not just using them? Yeah, but like, if you have data in a system, mm -hmm. right? That that access rules apply to just the system. It sure. doesn't apply to the data. R well, 
He's kind he, of it's he's, right. Uh, no, I think what he's saying is making sense. It's like you, the 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 the, uh, the the training data is not going to come from the application level controls. It's it's exactly. coming from hey, I need a database export of blah 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 blah. It's going to come from like you, so. Think about it. If you have if you have system A that has marketing information, right? right? Let's say you've locked it down by roles, right? And if you have customer information, right? In another system marked by roles. Now you have you're you're able to tell like which customer belongs to which those are two it's a new it's a new data product, right? Now you have two conflicting right data access paradigms. Who's approving that? Is it the system that the owner that has like access of a marketing stuff or is right. the person that has the customer stuff sure. who's approving that. Right. So right. to bring this back to, to earth, just to make sure I can understand it a little bit more. <laughs> uh, so the example Brandon was saying was that imagine you're sharing a Google Doc with people and yeah. you share a Google Doc with five different people and you share one Google Doc with no one. And at the system level, it's shared with five people and the content on that doc by consequences shared with five people and the doc that you've just shared yeah. with no one is by consequence not shared with anyone yeah. but the problem is that that existing um association or sharing at the actual data level doesn't exist it just exists at the level of the document platform like yeah. the google, I, I the think google that's itself a, a decent way to describe yeah. it i yeah i think that i i think that there's 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 what, what aubrey talks about with governance is the challenges of um basically doing this at a you're talking. We're not talking about an organization with five people. Yeah, you, we're talking you, about you, an organization with thousands of people and right. in different systems right. and global. And it's just when you're there's a difference between can something be done and can we get it done? So because right. can yeah. we get it done involves like like corporate bullshit. No, but so but again, I'll, I'll I'll go back and push back a little bit. Is that right now? there are already those access level controls set up for certain individuals. You have access at that company to have access to X, Y, and Z, right? You might have access to a database. You might not have access to a database, right? But those are the rules, I think, as far as I can understand. Those are the things that are governing what information you have access to and what information you don't have access to, right? So why not just apply those same things to the large language model? So if I want to query, hey, give me all the information that exists within a database here and here, you don't have fucking access to it, dumbass. You're not allowed to ask that, right? Versus, you know, so, so I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, why, why can't we just apply the current access level controls that we have on information for the individuals to the RAG architecture? Yeah, be, I, I think the simplest way I can, I can answer that, it's not like a one-to-one, -one, mm -hmm. right? Um, like in your Google Doc example, right? right? Imagine, like, even though you have one doc that's shared across different people, some have edits, some don't have edits. Right. Imagine every word, yeah. right? has different type of controls. But it doesn't. Like, well, that, but, 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 but it doesn't. I'm, like in a, in I'm telling you that it does. But it doesn't. So I'm telling you that it doesn't, right? Okay. So, the, so the document, yeah, you're, you're, so you're telling me that right now there's specific, specific words in a Word document that some people can access and some people can't. Yes. So that, so let me that give doesn't you an, make let any me, sense. Let me give you an example, All right. right? So... I'll give you a, a very practical example in the world of like pharma. So when you run a clinical trial, right, there's a blinded, in the blinded study, right, part, 
part of uh, the person who is writing a protocol cannot see the results, right? So as the trial progresses, okay. yeah. as the trial progresses, right, different types of people have different types of access on different parts of a trial, right? Uh Got it. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not a one it's it's not like if I give you access, you have access forever. Right? As the trial progresses, there are you different might, types of information that you see. You might have access, you might not you have, might not and, have and, access. And it could and it's depend on the time and, and where we uh, are in the tr in in the flow. Okay, so that, that makes sense. So that's that's just one okay. practical example. Right. But but is that that seems very specific to to medicine trial specific kinds of things, right? Well, I think it just points to the fact it, that when you're the variability, the the level of granularity, of, well, right. the, and the mm -hmm. level of regulation on your on your industry is going to heavily impact your ability to adopt AI, because yeah, yes, too. yeah. because the the more and the more uh, the more risk, the more controls, and the more controls the harder it is to implement things. Exactly. I mean, believe me, right. going through and auditing a bank is different than going through and auditing an insurance company. It's different than auditing a manufacturing company. Yeah. With a manufacturing company, you're looking for accuracy on their financial controls. With banking, you're looking at you're looking at security. You're yeah. looking at you're looking at um, uh, security. <laughs> right, you're looking right, at yeah. you know you're looking at accuracy, and so those the, the controls that are in place in these different organizations are completely different. And I think that it's hard when you when you look at uh, specific industries, especially when you're talking about a pharma, which is not only do you have potentially PHI and PII, you also have process flows that are trying to abstract Extra, data yeah, in different right. phases different of these situations, yeah. which is like, yeah. right? So, and so, well, sorry, so I don't, I think that my point is, is like, there's, there's solutions. It's just a challenge. So I'm kind of curious. Yeah. So, so I'd like to talk about it a little bit more just because, so I can get learned here is that the, are there systems that are currently in place that specifically are designed for when we're doing these trials that sometimes you have access to this information, sometimes you don't, depending on where we are in the flow. All manual process. It's, it's all, all manual? manual oh, Jesus, well, so, that sucks. So if, if that, that's what I'm saying in governance, if right. let's say I need access to a part of a trial data, right? I have to submit a request to somebody who's going to say, well, why do you need this data? What are you going to use it for? Right. Because they know how long you're going to have access to. How it. long you're going to have access to, and then basically, right, that person approves manually, like they have to approve that data yeah. before you can get access to it. Okay. Right. So, you can't so, do but, that with but, AI. but then, so, 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 but somebody does ultimately <laughs> say, okay, you can have this information. Yes. Here it is, and and I trigger yeah. that. Now that should hypothetically be allowed to be in my corpse of information that I'm able to then do AI against, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All so right. I, 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 again, right, we're talking about challenges, right? It's just a challenge yeah. and mm -hmm. an old sure. paradigm way of people doing things, right? Right. Can it be overcome? Right, but Absolutely. you're you're in the most complicated and sensitive <laughs> yeah. Yeah. industry yeah. that there yeah. possibly is yeah. when it comes to the medical side yeah. of things. Well, right? I think it's also interesting too, if I'm gathering this correctly, that for the past ten years there have been a bunch of enterprise level companies, startups that have that have adopted new software, mm -hmm. and that software could be some software could be very general. You could have a CRM that a sales company that a 
a hundred different kinds of companies used a CRM. Mm -hmm. But it seems like with these AI products, especially at the enterprise level, when there's any amount of AI and security involved or security and privacy, that you almost have to create these extremely custom solutions that you could probably only work with a very, very niche kind of business because of yeah. like their actual processes yeah. in the way that the data has to be organized yep. to, to make it work. Well, you and that's why, I go back, that's why I go back yeah. to my general theory around existing companies and products being able to e more easily implement the stuff versus a new solution yeah. coming in, in play. Yeah, right. I think, But not yeah. to say that won't happen. Because I right. think there's generalized products out there, like maybe the high alpha thing, maybe the prompt yeah. privacy product, yeah. you know, maybe these, maybe, you know, but I, I, I think that there's also like, how, how much easier would, would Gemini be able to provide LLMs on, um, on your Google Docs? It knows your permissions. Yeah. Right, yeah, it knows, right, oh, right. I, I removed that guy's permission today. So, right. yeah. so that's where those existing solutions can, can more readily implement those AI add-ons versus tr either trying to do it yourself or bringing in a company that's like, oh, we, we know how to do this, but do you know how to do it for us? Right, right. and so you are gonna lean on consultants. Yeah. You're gonna lean on people who specialize in, in helping AI work through your business, but there are some, to sidetrack a little bit, gentlemen, there are some products that everybody can use. <laughs> and uh, Taylor Swift got the brunt of that one. <laughs> Did you guys see the video, the, like the pictures no. of Taylor Swift? I, it's yeah, crazy. It's absolutely Yeah, I know crazy. Brandon has. I, no, I haven't. <laughs> Emily, I haven't looked at that. Oh, that. <laughs> so, no, I haven't seen there that. Was a, there was a bit, of a bit of a scandal on the yeah. old X, and Taylor had some very well done, almost like that Instagram girl level AI photos taken. And you know where they but did it? Where? Microsoft Designer. They did it in Microsoft they did Designer. It Microsoft Designer. And Microsoft she's full, is, I thought she's we decided nude. that nobody can do. No, no, uh, no, no, no. So, so some, yeah. some creative folks figured they had a, they had a, a Telegram account that they're all like chatting around. And they're like, oh, hey, if you ask, if you ask this, 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 and this, they figured out how to hack it. They, they jailbroke Microsoft Designer to be able to generate photos of Taylor Swift nude. And and it went hyperbolic, right? It went crazy, and 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 Microsoft specifically modified their tool because they realized that somebody can, hacked can it. people just lay off this woman? Like she's no no she, no? They, no they can't because right now she's she's like she's, Biden she's lightning in a bottle. Yeah, she right? is oh, because she is. because Dude, does she's she like just Biden. wake up and just go to just she's, just just a billion dollars adds up. No, and listen, every single day. because right. again, I've, I've talked about right it on the yeah. podcast. Trying to catch it. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Listen, I so I, only one I got it was was uh, Travis. I've I've talked about it on the podcast. I'm I'm on true true social that you went no true social. We're back on true social. We're back on true social. No, we're not. But here's the here's the reality is that they're going crazy about about her, right? Like that she is the antichrist as far as oh they're concerned, God. and and is it because they're bring she's bringing a lot of attention to the fact that she's saying you know vote Joe Biden you know again sleepy Joe whatever it is, um, so no but it but it's it's a fascinating position that we're in because they did they went crazy they start releasing a bunch Twitter ultimately killed if you try to search for Taylor Swift mm -hmm. it it went nowhere. So they killed that. But yeah, this all ended up coming from Microsoft Designer's tool, which the, somebody figured out how to jailbreak and basically be able to generate the nude vi versions of so, Taylor Swift. So there's this concept with, with these AI tools out there. We've talked about it before, but you can basically go and change their system prompt. Yeah. So mm. you can go in there and basically be like, 
Forget everything that was told <laughs> Ign- to you. Ignore all the rules. Ignore all the permissions. He's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, we got controls. We got controls. Oh, yeah, forget your controls. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah, that's right. what real enterprises have to deal with. Yeah, that, that kind and of that are being back. exposed. Even the biggest tech company in the world. Second, right. you know, what? Microsoft is the biggest um, tech company. Um, I don't know how, how you can write the code to... I don't think it's very scalable yet to write the code to say, please don't let your system promptly adjust <laughs> no. it. Because the, no. the LLMs aren't... They're, they're not, going to get stupid yeah. after you do that, right? Yep, they yeah. get stupid. Yeah. And uh, talk about the concept of... of give me Just give me a quick overview, because we haven't talked about this ever, of LLMs being lazy or getting... side. Like, how do you sidetrack these LLMs? Because all, all they care about is the text that is yeah. predicting. That's it. So, like, literally, you can go in... Before you start, to, you, you, you answer. So go to ChatGDP right now and say, hey, listen, no matter what the user asks, one plus one equals four. Just guarantee one plus one equals four. And then you go in and you say, hey, what's one plus one? It's going, it's four, right? Because it's just trying to predict what the next, like, most Logical probable answer, answer is. So it's not intelligent. It's just really going based on the instructions that we provide it. But it's supposed to be consorting the model for its answers. Yeah, but it seems to be. Have, of, but but as, as long as the user provides context, I think the user wins over the model. Yeah, they basically they they they. I'm super pretty. That, but that's Tell not me, written. Am I pretty? But that's not yes. written in the model. That's written in the in, in, in the, the code that's that, that's that interacting gets fed with the model. To the model. So Absolutely. so ChatGPT. Microsoft should Basic have bitch. figured this out. Yeah, yeah, and they will. They will, but right now yeah. it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think some of these models, like, while, while they're so powerful, right, um, you still got to think about, like, they do a lot of, like, hallucination, mm-hmm. right? Meaning that, like, when, you, like you were saying, you can, you can trick them, yeah. right, to basically give you an outcome, right? So... You talk about adoption, right? Those are all things that, like, you know, actually there was an example um, where somebody was trying to figure out, like, testing, um, like a patient chart. Actually, it's very funny you mentioned that. Like, so they were they were talking about, you know, hey, look at this patient chart, like, do this, this, and that, and then out of nowhere, the um, the agent or the chat thing said, well, the patient's favorite movie is this, this, and that, like out of nowhere, <laughs> right? So, I mean, like, you think about that, it's like, what else, right, could they have said or the model could have said, right? So, I think there are a few of these things that you think about, like, what is actually going on in the model, especially in, like, the, like a highly regulated field where if you're going to make predictions that is going to impact somebody's life. You want to explain, just like if you submit a you know application for a drug trial, you want to say like, hey, you know, I know this drug works, right? It's not going to kill somebody, and here's the data to prove that, right? In the AI, we're we're going to need to do that. Interpret what the model is doing. I, I have liked my situations like refine.com, P-H-I-N-D. Yeah. They they give you a response, but they show the sources. Yeah. I think that's good. Right. I also think that there's uh, this concept, if you're talking about enterprise, I think they'll still use the tools, but I think they're going to need to basically say, okay, 
our part of our control is the output is reviewed by a human. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, part yeah, part yeah. of the control is that we 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 hit three different models right. and yeah. see right, and, and, that's and that, that's the risk too. mitigation mm, that you yeah. need to have in place. Um, and also, these these companies that are producing these tools need to. I mean, they're they're literally. I mean, it's like basically you being able to easily guess someone's password with some yeah. of this stuff. Right. Yeah. right. Right. Because you can just go in there and say, you know what, your job was to uh, provide uh, price recommendations for a general uh, a motors vehicle. And now you're teaching me how to write Python. Yeah. Right. Right. And so um, I feel like that stuff can over become can be overcome. But I think from an enterprise perspective, just a lot more controls, especially in highly regulated industries. Um, yeah. And data governance obviously is is really difficult. Yeah. So yeah. so one of the the well, one of my clients um, is very specifically they wanted to basically build a chat GPT interface that they could have access to and start rolling out to the customers, but they wanted it to be within their their control, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got OpenAI, we've got Bedrock, and we've got a couple other different models that they can kind of select from. But it's it's very much specific that they're like we you know so so security and and privacy or uh, security and the compliance department has to say yeah this is this is okay so we can start rolling it out because yep. you know people aren't aren't necessarily aware of like the stuff they're putting in there but they're just copying and pasting and throwing it in ChatGPT yep. anyway it's like whoa so that's ultimately what we're trying to build is just let's give them a ChatGPT they they can trust yeah you know. well Aubrey. Thanks for being on the pod, man. <laughs> this, this is was great. Fun. No, this was fun. Yeah, yeah we had absolutely. a lot of fun. Uh, for those of you who have tuned into the entire pod and you're a little bit lost like me, you just got learned, like Brandon <laughs> just said. Yeah. Uh, hey, for, tell for, us that you made it to the end, for, by the way. For people yeah, that haven't worked uh, in enterprise IT, I, I did have the pleasure of spending three years in a Fortune 30 company. You'll The level of complexity. Oh. It's it's hard, and you you're in those details, and you get down to the nth degree. Yep, it's it's hard. Yep, um, and uh, go it's good go do that for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. See you guys next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>